Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermons. To hear this live and before subscribers do, join us in Rockport, Maine on Sunday mornings at 10 for worship and before that at 845 for prayer service. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Awesome. Let's pray. We're going to pray for a few friends of ours, uh, but let's, let's pray and... Um... And we'll get rolling here. So Jesus, thank you for today. Lord, we thank you that you said in your word, God, that where two or three are gathered in your name, God, you're in the midst. And so, Father, we thank you just for an increase of your presence and an increase of your anointing in the house today. Father, we pray for an increase, God, of even our undivided attention to lock into the Holy Ghost what he desires to do in the house today. And, uh, Lord, we just pray for our friends. Lord, we have uh, several friends, God, that, that just in the mix, God, there's no need to really mention their name other than the fact that you know their name but God, they need a miracle. And so Lord, we just ask today, God, we know that you're a miracle working God. And Lord, would you begin to move in their bodies? Would you begin to move in their minds? Would you begin to move in their homes? God, we pray that you would do only what you can do. And uh, Jesus, we know that you uh, obviously came to restore. And so Lord, we pray that you would restore uh, God once again, spirit, soul, and body in every one of these situations. Restore relationships today, we pray. And so Lord, we just thank you today for your word once again. Uh, Lord, it's truly what we build our life upon. God, we don't build our life upon emotions. We don't build our life off experiences. We certainly appreciate those, but Lord, we build our lives upon your word. And so Lord, let your word go forth today. God, we just say that our hearts are hungry and we desire to hear from you. So thank you for speaking to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, listen, uh, if you are hanging out with us today for the first time, uh, I'm Pastor Quentin. This is my wife, Jen. We're certainly glad that you guys are here. You know, if you were here last week, you might remember me saying this, that uh, from time to time, I like to personally uh, preach messages that kind of help us refocus, kind of bring us back to the heart of things, what's maybe, uh, you know, just the basics, what's most important, foundational things in the gospel. And, uh, and the truth is, is I'm a pretty simple fella, and, uh, and I like simple things. I don't, I don't really uh, run too far from simple. I think it's just kind of the way my mind works. But today I want to share uh, what I believe is another one of those core messages uh, that we all need to hear from time to time. So if you're taking notes this morning, uh, the, the title of today's message is called Hidden. If you are not taking notes this morning, I encourage you to take notes this morning. So uh, just whip out your phone, uh, grab a piece of paper, don't rush all at one time. But, but uh, you know, let's do this. And the reason, I, the reason I'm stressing that a little bit more this morning is because I'm going to be giving you quite a bit of stuff. In fact, it, this might be a message that's, uh, uh, you know, a mile long and about an inch deep. And uh, so there's a lot of things I kind of maybe want you to write down so you can kind of revisit later and so you can kind of dig in your, you know, on your own. In fact, let me maybe throw a tidbit out here. Uh, just for all of us here. Uh, you know, church is awesome. Church is great. Uh, but there's only so much you can get from church. Okay, and so I realized today that, you know, I, I was thinking the other day, I don't know, my son, my son gave me a, a revelation the other day. She, he said, Dad, uh, you, you've preached over 100 times since we've been here. I was like, wow. Hey, I haven't really thought about that. And, uh, you, you know, which is true. And so in three years, you're going you're gonna to definitely get over 100 messages. And so anyways, but, but the truth is, is uh, 100 messages will be, a, will be no good to us if we just hear it only. Uh, if we don't take, some, take notes, take what's being said, or, or have a, uh, the discipline on our own to go study and go dig our own well with God, we'll never get anywhere. 
Amen. So today I'm just encouraging you to take notes and uh, go home and dig that well and dig it deep and let the living water flow. Amen. All right, so listen, uh, I want to start today with a rhetorical question, so there's no need to respond. Uh, just, just simply, I just want you to think. And so here's the question today. We'll throw it up on the screen. Uh, but how many of us personally believe that we are currently living up to God's divine standard for our lives? I know that's kind of heavy, and it's not an easy question to answer, but uh, I kind of want to give you a moment to think about it. But, but how many of us personally believe we are currently living up to God's divine standard for our lives. Now, I want to admit to you that um, I'm not really asking you that question today for you to really answer it. Um, I, I'm simply asking you that question today because I'm kind of curious uh, to see where your mind goes when you hear a question like that. So, listen, I might be wrong, but if I was a, if I was a betting man, and I'm not, but if I was, uh, then I would probably say that there was more than one person in this room, when you heard that question, that you automatically thought something about your behavior. Somebody say behavior. behavior. Listen, more than likely, uh, you automatically thought about something that you either do or you don't do that somehow causes you to fall short of God's standard for your life. And the reason I'm saying that is because that's what I would have done. Fair enough? And I'm probably not the only one, okay? It doesn't mean it's everybody, but I guarantee it's somebody. So, um, but I want you to know today this. So what if I told you that the number one reason that we fall short of God's divine standard for our lives doesn't necessarily have anything to do with our behavior? Now, this might sound like a little bit of a head scratcher, but I personally believe that some of us in this room don't have what we assume to be a behavior problem as much as we have an identity problem. Are you all with me today? Listen, you see, so often as believers, and, you know, listen, it's, it's really understandable why, uh, but we focus so much on our behavior, and, and I get it from the standpoint of when we read the Bible, obviously the Bible speaks a lot about our behavior, a lot about our actions, a lot about our words. Obviously, there's tons of sermons. I preach tons of sermons that deal with our behavior, but I think when we put a, a, an overemphasis, an overfocus on our behavior, uh, we do, when we do that, basically we fail to realize that our behavior is really birthed out of our identity. In fact, I, I like how one man said it. He said this, we'll throw it up on the screen, that we cannot consistently behave in ways that are different from what we believe about ourselves. That we cannot consistently behave in ways that, we are, that are different from what we believe about ourselves. Now, let me give you a well-known scripture. Most people in the room know this. Uh, it's simply Proverbs 23.7. It says, for as a man thinks in his heart, what? Come on, say it like you mean today. Wake up. So is he. I love the way the Amplified Act says, it says, for as a man thinks in his heart, it says, so is his behavior. See, you see, whatever the perceived identity that we have of ourselves, it doesn't matter if it's right or wrong, negative, positive, good or bad, basically that's what we will behave like. That's how we'll live. Whatever we're thinking internally, we're going to put it on the outside for everybody to see. Y'all are like looking at me like you're afraid today. It's awesome. Uh, real quick, let me give you an example. Hopefully, we'll help you. How many people in the room today have brown eyes? Come on, lift your hand high. Be proud of those brown eyes. Be proud. Uh, Miss Kim, Miss Jane, come here. Uh, Sarah, come here. Chris, come here. Y'all come here. Y'all come stand right here. How many of you guys have blue eyes in the house today? Anybody got blue eyes? Anybody got blue eyes? Give me, just give me, uh, I guess, four blue-eyed people right here. That'd be great. Blue-eyed people, let's move somebody, somebody. Somebody, my wife, come on, come on. Give, give me one more person, blue-eyed person. I love the pride in being a blue-eyed person. I need one more blue-eyed person. Who's afraid here? Thank you. Come on, let's go. 
Come on, Miss Kim, I asked you to come. Come on, Miss Kim. Yeah, Miss Kim, yeah, come on, come on. Gary, go over there. You blue eye, brown eye. You blue eye. Go over there, buddy. You don't belong over here. Get over there. Listen, I, I want to give you maybe a really silly example here real quick, but, uh, but I, think, I think maybe it'll help you here. But listen, uh, I read this the other day. It said, the day after Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, a school teacher named James Elliott, who lived in an all-white town in Iowa. We don't know anything about an all-white town. But anyways, but an all-white town in Iowa attempted to explain discrimination to her elementary students. Watch this. Because she... Uh, basically, when she went to go explain it, the kids struggled so bad to understand, you know, you know, basically her explanation of it. They couldn't figure out why somebody would want to kill this guy because he was black. And, and, and basically, so she decided to do this. The next day, she uh, came to class, and she uh, prepared to give her students a memorable experience on the pains of discrimination. You guys brown-eyed? You guys blue-eyed, right? All right, here we go. So listen, she declared that morning in class that the brown-eyed students were way smarter than the blue-eyed students. <laughs> Watch this. So the students with brown eyes, they were, they were moved up to the front of the classroom, and they were given extra time in recess. That's pretty awesome, right? If you're a kid, you, you, you never, never argue about extra time in recess, right? Anyways, so then in return, the, the blue-eyed students were actually given special collars to wear so that everyone could see them from a distance, that they were inferior, not as smart, not as good, and they were less than the brown-eyed students. Once again, they didn't get as much time in recess, and they had to go to the very back of the classroom. Are y'all following me today? Listen, the next day, Jane Elliott came in, and she announced to the class that she was mistaken. She said this, man, the, the blue-eyed students were actually superior to the brown-eyed students. Listen, and as you can expect, the blue-eyed students, man, they ripped off that collar with joy while the brown-eyed students were absolutely deflated, like them. And, uh, and watch this, for the day, they reversed the roles, which means these guys got to go up to the front of the class. They got extra time in, uh, in recess. You know, once again, they were treated superior, like they were the, the, the better class of people. While these guys were now, they had to take their, their uh, place up front, where they were lofty, and now they had to go to the back. And then they had to watch their friends play on the playground for extra time. They had to wear the collar, uh, you know, once again, that said, basically, I'm dumb and I'm not as good as them. Now... Watch what happened. Uh, on the day that the students wore the collars, both days, okay, they described feelings of sadness and inferiority or feeling less than to their teacher, rightfully so. Now watch this. Here's what's interesting. The byproduct of those feelings even affected their academic performances. For example, when the blue-eyed students, that's you guys, wore the collars, they needed five and a half minutes to complete a reading exercise, the next day, when they were free of the dreaded collars, believing that they were superior or the smarter group, they completed the reading exercise in two and a half minutes. Three minutes difference. Now, once again, I understand that the difference in those two numbers might not seem super significant, uh, but it still proves that an individual's perceived identity can affect the outcome of their life. Are you guys seeing that? Watch this, and once again, I want to remind you, and I've been saying this for the past few weeks, but it's the little things that can make the big difference even in our identity. So if you take someone that, once again, that feels like they're uh, inferior, not as good, uh, whatever, you know, all those little things that maybe just from their childhood, their past, maybe years of failure, whatever it is, kind of add those things up, and guess what? It can amount to something pretty significant, 
right? But if you take all, you know, the positive things and, and you build those things up and people, guess what? That it can affect things and have a big difference as well. Give these guys a hand. Now, why am I saying all that? What in the world does this mean for us? Uh, can I propose to you today that every single person in this room is currently living out, currently displaying for the world around them to see how they feel about themselves on the inside? I'm not trying to be super redundant unintentionally. I'm being redundant intentionally so we get this. Listen, once again, of how they feel in the inside that they are living that out so everybody can see, once again, either good or bad, positive or negative, uh, you, you know, once again, right or wrong. Now, an easy example of this would be this, that if, if Jen feels super loved, then guess what? She's confident that she's loved. It's probably going to be pretty easy for her to love other people. Yes, but if you take Noah and Noah doesn't feel confident that he's loved, in fact, he struggles with rejection, he struggles with, man, he doesn't feel accepted, all of those things, he just feels less than, then he's going to struggle, uh, you know, giving other people love. It's just simple fact. That's one example that could be multiplied in thousands of ways. Yes? So listen, let's, uh, let's kind of shift gears here a little bit. Uh, a few years ago, I read a verse that uh, basically my eyes were open. I never saw it like this before. And, and I, I want to read this verse simply to say this, that it's my opinion that this verse reveals where many, 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 many good-hearted Christians uh, live on a daily basis, okay? And when I read it, just kind of forewarn you, you're going to go, what in the world does that have to do with this? But just hang tight, Okay. The uh, verses in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 12, once again, it's about David. I absolutely love David. We're going to talk about him a little bit today. Uh, but it says this in verse 12. It says, and this is, David's a grown man here. It says, and David perceived that the Lord had established him king over Israel. In fact, it kind of give you an idea. David's probably about 37 years old, I think, if my memory serves me right, at this time. And David perceived, somebody say perceived. perceived. Well, say it like you mean it. Say Perceived. And David perceived that the Lord had established him king over Israel. And once again, I admit, at first glance, that doesn't seem like much of a verse until we realize this, that if David had to perceive that he was king, that it must have meant that he wasn't sure of it before. Now, here's what's so interesting, and this is what blew me away. When David received this earth-shattering revelation, he had already, somebody say already, he had already had the crown firmly resting on his head, and people were already calling him King David, not for a few weeks, but for, get this, seven and a half years. Let that sink in for a minute. For seven and a half years. So it would appear that even after all of, all of that, right, of once again wearing the crown, people called him King David, that, that, it, that basically David still did not fully grasp, didn't perceive, didn't become aware of, that's what perceived there means, uh, that God had established him king over Israel until that moment. Now, in other words, here's what I'm trying to say to you. Maybe if you hear anything today, jot this down if you're taking notes, type in your phone, whatever. But, but it's this, is that it took seven and a half years for David's identity to catch up with his assignment. That took seven and a half years for David's identity, how he felt about himself on the inside, to catch up with his assignment. Listen, in other words, he held the position but he lacked the proper identity inside himself to fulfill it. You know, I, I could say this, and I won't go into it. I thought about it. But listen, I, I, I so get this. I, you know, really, really what helped me is when I got this was basically after my first year here. God had to say, son, that's you. 
You're a pastor of a church, but your identity hasn't called it with your assignment, and you're not acting like it. You're not leading. And so it, it took a, a series of uh, prophetic words and a few kicks in the butt from the Lord for me to realize, man, I need to step up my game, that my identity needs to shift here. And the truth is, is that small identity shifts can really make a big difference. Amen? So, listen, it's kind of this. And once again, the reason I'm saying this first is, to me, this is where so many good-hearted Christians are at today. When, when basically God looks at us, get this, when God looks at us in this room, he sees us through the eyes of covenant. He sees us through basically his blood. He sees us through the eyes of promise, through the eyes of destiny. sees us through the eyes of us being a new creation. Anybody thankful for that, right? Listen, but so many of us in the room haven't perceived it yet. And what I mean by this is, is this, is that we know we've been forgiven. Thank God for going to heaven, right? But, but all that other stuff that the Bible says about us, we're just not really sure yet if he's really talking about us. In fact, I think I meet Christians on a consistent basis that they have no problem with believing that for the other person than they do themselves. In other words, they have more faith for other people than they do themselves. And the reason is because they know their shortcomings and their weaknesses. But guess what? That other person has them too. Yes? So listen, I'm just kind of saying this to you today. I, I, um, I don't want us any longer to be unbelieving believers when it comes to what God said about us. Do you get that? Man, I'm telling you, we read, we read the book and we don't believe half of what we read. <laughs> yeah? Listen, I'm not picking on you. I'm talking about me too. Right? Because uh, here's the reason, because, because we have so much crap that needs to be filtered through the Word of God in our thinking. Yeah? All right, so let me give you just a few thoughts here today, okay? And once again, I know this isn't earth-shattering, just a few thoughts. <clears throat> um, if I could maybe speak for us in the room, I know you don't typically do that, but if I could, I, I think that I would say this, that, that many of us in this room, we need our internal, internal perspective to be adjusted and we need our internal perspective to be adjusted adjusted and I want to show you the the, the proper adjustment in fact let me maybe say this um, you, you know how, how many guys you you've ever gotten in your car and you've and you've driven down the road and you and you had that moment you feel like it was a little pulling so you you know you lift your hand off the wheel and it automatically went Rrr. anybody yeah three of us man I need your mechanic all right here we go um, so listen that 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 is this that that, you know, you hit a pothole, you do whatever, okay? And, and it knocks your alignment off. And what happens is that sometimes God will bring verses in our lives that will kind of set our alignment right. So when we let go of that will, we keep going straight, that we're good. And so this is kind of one of those verses right there, okay? So look at this, Colossians 3, 1 through 3. And maybe if you don't hear uh, any of the other verses I share today, grab a hold of this one and pray into it. Colossians 3, 1 through 3. It says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of where? Where? Heaven. Heaven. Get that. Set your sights on the realities. Not, not, listen, not wishful thinking, not maybe, not possibilities, but it is a doggone reality, right? The realities of heaven. It says where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Let me maybe stop there and say something I wasn't planning on saying. Um, do you understand that the Bible says in Ephesians 2 that we are seated in heavenly places with Christ? Right? And the reason we're seeing the heavenly place with Christ is because we're one with Christ. He's the head, we're the body, and we have the opportunity to sit at the right hand of the Father. So let me ask you a question. When we pray, do we pray from a throne room mentality or do we pray from an earthly mentality? 
That shows you if you're operating from the reality of heaven or the reality of this earth. And the reality of the earth is a bunch of wishful thinking that's built in fear and built in unbelief and doubt. But when you understand that you're seated in heavenly place with Christ, guess what? You can approach the throne room boldly and you can have confidence. Amen? That what? That whatever we ask according to his will, it shall be done. Right? So let's pick up here. It says this in verse 2. It says, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Boy, that's hard, isn't it? I, I got to be honest with you guys, and some of you guys are going to throw rocks at me here, but that's why I don't watch a lot of news. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. So think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, because, man, all that is is propaganda, right? Verse 3, here's the key verse. For you die to this life, and your real life, get that, your real life is hidden with Christ in God. That's so good. That your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Meaning this, just, to, just this is free. Take it, okay? It means that your real life's not going to be found anywhere else. So quit looking for it everywhere else. Okay? Listen, if you and I are going to walk in our identity, and I'm preaching myself as much as you today, that, that the first thing that we got to realize is this. The first thing we got to understand is that if our identity truly is hidden, or that means concealed or kept secret, right, with Christ, then the first step to discovering that, that kingdom identity comes through this. It comes through discovering who Christ is. If, if it's hidden in Christ, then i got to go figure out who Christ is. And not who I've made him to be. Amen? Listen, I want to show you proof of this. Look at Matthew 16 with me. It's a 16, chapter, uh, chapter 16, verses 13 through 18. It says this in the New Living Translation. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. It says in verse 15, then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? In other words, fellas, fellas what do you, what, what's my identity in your eyes? Right? What's my identity in your eyes? And then Simon Peter says this. He says, basically, I know who you are. Right? You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Watch what Jesus says. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John. Or your version may say, Simon, son of Arjona. It says, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Verse 18, watch this. It says, now I say to you, or now I release to you, that you are Peter, which means the rock. Just a thought, okay? Kind of, and I wish I had time to go into this. I'm, I'm, I'm giving this one. It's an inch deep, uh, deep today because of time. Um, Simon actually means, when you look it up, it means a broken reed. And it actually means basically something that's flimsy, the flops in the wind. I mean, I, you know, I, basically we could go into that a whole lot. So basically Jesus changes the name from something that flops in the wind to something that's strong and unbreakable. Are you hearing me? So watch this. But here's what's so neat about this. It's what I want you to catch. Once again, if, we're, if it's in Christ and we've got to figure out who Christ is, is, and the reason is, is because of the exchange that happens. Notice what happened. When Peter discovered who Jesus was, we know the Bible says that Jesus is the rock. Guess what happened? He discovered who he was, the little rock. Are y'all following me today? Listen, the revelation of who Jesus is will release our identity. Why? Because we are one with him. 
That's why, to even think about it, just to encourage you, thank God for this, that the Bible says that even though my, my, my behavior, my righteousness is as what? Filthy rags, but thank God that when the Father looks at us, that he doesn't see us, he sees Jesus. I'm really thankful for that. Because I don't match up too well with him. Right? So listen, if... Um, Second thing here, if we're going to walk in our identity, then we've got to understand this. And this is just to kind of help us out uh, because, because legalism sends it the other way. But, but uh, it's not up there. I'm saying it's second. But here we go. It's this. Is we've got to understand that it takes time. Please don't miss this, that it takes time. I, I want you to think about this for a second. When, when Jesus declared, when he released, Peter, you are the rock, did Peter become all that that meant in that instant, in that moment? Not even close. He was a freaking knucklehead, right? Just like us. He's a knucklehead, right? But, but here's what happened. Basically, if we see when we read the Bible, we actually see that Jesus declared his identity before, get that, before he established it in him. I hope you grab and hold this. Listen, the, the reason I say that is because the same is going to go for us. Like Peter basically this, God will speak to our identity. He's already spoken to our identity well over 2,000 years ago, right? And, and then over time, he builds it into us as we come into agreement with him by faith. Yeah. Because, see, the, the key thing here is when it takes time, once again, it's not I sit back and I just go, well, Jesus, do your thing. No, there's a partnership in this, once again, of faith that, that, that God basically begins to work his work in me to basically make me into. It's, it's this, it's Philippians 1, 6. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it, but we have a part to play once again in it. So let me, let me kind of give you a quote that I read the other day. It says this, it says, God can shift, I think it'll be up there, that God can shift our, daily, our lives in a day. God can shift our lives in a day. If you've ever been born again, that's a great place to say amen. Listen, God can shift our lives in a day, but it will take a journey to arrive at that day. Well, that's so true. And the reason is, once again, I don't have time for it, but if you read the Bible, there's the, there's the, the Bible says this, okay, in Hebrews. It says that he has sanctified us, which means he's already set us apart, and he is sanctifying us. It's bo both is happening. Basically, once again, he saved us, but it takes a while to walk out that old man into the new man. But guess what? I got a part to play. Right? I'm j I just, the reason I keep saying that is because in my mind, in my heart, I cannot understand why so many believers, basically, they, they get saved, and they've been saved 20 years, and, and they basically still struggle and fight with the same old things. It, it's like, it, it basically, in the, you know, in the natural, they've aged 20 years, but in the spirit, they've aged two weeks. That's really what I'm trying to say. I can't get that, right? In other words, when you meet Jesus, wouldn't you want to become all that he wants you to be? Yeah. We should, amen? All right, so let me give you a few simple things here. Once again, write these down. Put them in your phone. Uh, but what pieces or what, or what specific realities, going back to Colossians there, uh, of our identity is hidden with Christ? Let me give you eight things. What, what is in us or what's in him that's hidden? In other words, when I go look once again at Jesus, what am I going to find there for myself? And these are all really, really simple. Once again, not earth-shattering, but once again, it's the simple things that a lot of times we miss and we don't live. Number one, that we're his child. We're his child. I'm going to breeze through these. Number two, that we are priests. Number three, that we are kings. Number four, we are his bride. Number five, we are his servant. 
Number six, we are his friend. Number seven, we are aliens. Somebody turn to your neighbor and say, I thought something was wrong with you. (laughs) We are aliens. Read the verse, it'll make sense. All right, here we go. Number, uh, number eight, we are his ambassador. So once again, just while you're writing there, we're his child, his priest, his king, his bride, his servant, our friend, our alien, uh, alien ambassador. That's our identity in a nutshell. Yeah? If you're ready, say, oh, yeah. Not yet. The notes will be online. Here we go. Um, I want you to watch something, okay? Because I just want to expound on this for a second. Um, we'll keep that up there. But watch how our identity, once again, if we, if we are confident in those things on the inside, how they will affect our daily lives. Watch this. As a child of God, guess what? We get to know and trust our perfect Father. What a difference. When I, when I am confident that I'm a child of God, guess what? I know I can trust Him. And in in, in once again, that's always He's perfect in all of His ways. Right? If I, if I feel like I'm an illegitimate son or daughter, I won't have confidence in him. Listen, as a priest, guess what that means? We get the opportunity to enter the presence of God anytime, anywhere. I want to stress that anytime, anywhere. Anytime, anywhere. At home, in the car, uh, you, you know, once again, on the ferry, uh, I'm trying to figure out, on the lobster boat, uh, wherever you're, man, li- listen, uh, if, if you're working on a car, if you're pounding nails, whatever you're doing, man, you can enter into the presence of God at any moment. It's a choice. Listen, as a king, we have been given divine and spiritual authority, and, and that's for us to actually use it and not cower down when something comes. Amen? Listen, as his bride, we get to live pure because he's declared us as pure, right? He's declared as pure. This, as his servant, we get to serve him and others with a grateful and willing heart. As his friend, we get to hang out and enjoy being with him. I like being with Jesus, right? Um, if you like being with Jesus, you should like worship. Amen? You should like prayer. Those things, you should like the word. Those things come. As an alien, we get the opportunity to live different than, than the world. Do y'all know we should be way different? Yes? Listen, as God's ambassadors, and I love this, man, and this is our mission. We get the chance to speak for and represent him in the world, right? Listen, the other day, a few of us that were in, are in the room here, we got a chance to, to go to a, um, I guess like a little one day, I don't know if you'll gathering, I'll say it that way, of elders in the state. And they said something, I've never counted it up, and so I, you know, once again, this is somebody saying this, and like I, I, I knew the, the truth of this, but I didn't know the number of this, that they said this, that there's 39 miracles in the book of Acts. And uh, basically that all of them, and I haven't checked that, but all of them were done outside the church. So think about that for a second, ambassadors. Right? That, that, that we, all, we all come here and we expect miracles to happen, but again, there, there's just as many miracles out there happening or should be happening than here, Right? Yeah, the, the truth is, is I'm not saying that miracles don't happen in church because obviously Jesus healed people in church or the synagogue, right? But, but there's that side that, guess what, that, that we should be coming here celebrating what he did out there. Yeah. Amen? So listen, I'm just simply saying this, that if, that if we grab a hold of those identities of who God says we are, of our identity, then guess what? It's simply this, that if I see myself different, I will be different. 
I will see my, if I see myself different, I'll be different. Think about this. Until we think and see ourselves differently than we have up to this point, nothing new will flow from our lives. You get that? Unless I see myself different, then nothing new is going to happen. That's how a lot of ways of why we've been saved for 20 years, but we haven't moved because we don't think different. We don't see ourselves different. But we begin to think and see ourselves different, and guess what? The living water will flow in our lives where it never has before. Amen? Revelation will flow where it never has before. The love of God, the peace of God, the joy of God, it will begin to flow out of our lives. All right, let me wrap this up in this way, okay? Just give me a second doesn't mean I'm doing it in two minutes, but we're headed in that direction, is, um, is I'm going to go full circle, and I want to go back to David real quick. <clears throat> I, I think when most people uh, think about David, they, they think about this guy, man, that's like this born winner who seamlessly goes from victory to victory to victory to victory. But I want you to know today that's not the case. In, in fact, it's this, that that guy really had to overcome uh, a lot of serious things to grab a hold of his identity in the kingdom. And, uh, and I just want to maybe point this out. It's really no different than things we're going to have to overcome. All right? So w- once again, without going into too much detail because of time, I'm going to give you an inch deep here. But, but here's a few things that he had to conquer along the way, basically along the road to identity with God's help. It's the same things that we'll have to conquer as well. Number one is this, is he had to conquer the lion. The lion. If you'll notice there, a lion, and once again, you know, you know go think First Peter, the enemy uh, basically prowls around like a lion. What's a, what's a lion? What does a lion strike in basically the animal kingdom? It's fear. Right? So for David, for him to grab a hold of his identity, for us to grab a hold of our identity, we got to learn to conquer fear. Yeah. Amen? Amen. And it goes back to that one thing. Once again, listen, let me just stress to you. If you're going through something, go grab a verse in the Bible and apply that doggone thing. Pray that thing. Put it up. Put it in your car. Put it in your, on your mirror, whatever. For God's not giving me a spirit of fear. Right? Until you give victory. The second thing he had to conquer was the bear. This sounds different, but the bear is actually a symbol of revenge. And, and revenge is basically this. And maybe if I can put it in a different way. Uh, it, it's called, uh, he had to conquer unforgiveness. And, and listen, if there's, if there's two things that will absolutely rob you of your identity, it's fear and unforgiveness. Yeah. Amen. The third thing, and it's going to take me a minute here, but he had to conquer Elab. Who was that? That's <laughs> what you're thinking. L- listen, basically Elab is a symbol of comparison. And, and once again, who is Elab? Elab was David's oldest brother. And, and basically, th- get this, and here's why it's important, because, because when, when Samuel the prophet came rolling into town and said, look, God sent me here to anoint the next king, Jesse, David's father, said, here's my boy Elab. And what's amazing, when you do it, when you do a, uh, basically just look at the verses, he was tall and handsome. Basically, he looked just like Saul, the first king. And what happened was they said, this has got to be the guy because he fits the mold. And, and guess what? And here's Samuel, basically probably the, one of the most accurate prophets that's ever lived, said, surely that's the guy. <laughs> and then we know that God said the rest. and said, ah, don't look at the outside, look at his heart, right? But here's the thing, though, that I want to grab a hold of right here is that, is that God will place others, Elab's, Ones with obvious talents and greatness inside of them beside us to force us to deal with our own insecurities. David goes, right, bread and cheese, 
right? We're in 1 Samuel 17, and he goes, basically, who's that fellow, Goliath? Goliath's running his mouth, remember? And what did Elab do? Elab began to basically accuse him of stuff. And, and here's this kid who's probably, I think he's about, they say, theologians say 14 to 17 years old, that here he is, he's sitting there, and he's, and he's grown up in the shadow of Elab, and the thing is, the truth is, is God will give us the great privilege to grow up in the shadow of elabs of whatever area of life, basically, so once again, we'll have to deal with our own insecurities. Because until we can see ourselves in our own identity, be confident in our identity outside of his shadow, I will never grab a hold of my God-given identity. Am I making sense, you guys? Number four is Jesse. And this isn't to everybody, but Jesse. What's Jesse? Jesse's a doubting parent. And there's loads of us in here that have wounds and, and basically uh, have dealt with uh, unbelieving parents towards us. And even though we're, we're 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years old, man, that thing has still robbed us of our identity because Pa said back in the day that I was this and this and I wasn't this and this. Am I making sense, you guys? And the thing is, if we want to grab a hold of our identity, man, it's not just fear, it's not just unforgiveness, it's not just comparison, but man, it's those words of parents who's supposed to affirm us, right? And speak life over us and call out destiny. If we can't get over the words that they're saying, then we'll never really grab it. In other words, it's this, is that until, until God the Father's voice has more uh, clout, more, uh, basically more, uh, basically uh, favor more, what are you saying, help me, influence, thank you, in my life than my dad or my mom or my uncle, my aunt, my grandparents, all those things, and it, we're not going anywhere. All right? We got to believe. Once again, don't be an unbelieving believer. Don't put more faith in your daddy's words than your heavenly father's words. Amen? Amen. Number five, we know Goliath. And once again, I, I, I'm simply saying this. Yes, yeah, obstacles. But, man, everyone's got to overcome the threats and the lies of the enemy. It, it's this. is man, when the enemy, listen, if you really want to walk with God, if you really want to grab a hold of your identity, you're going to hear his voice belittling you and mocking you. Who is this chump that's come to the battlefield today? Am I making any sense to anybody today? Number six, and don't miss this one. This isn't for everybody, but it is for some of us. Number six, you got to overcome a Saul. Now, what do I mean by Saul? It's the test of authority. It's the test of authority. In fact, I will say this, and, you know, I realize, I realized that before I could transition out of my old spot in Carolina to come to the new spot, the new assignment, I knew from God that I had to get my heart right with leadership. I love leadership, but there was little things because you can't spend 14 years with somebody without having something, <laughs> right? And, and I had to go this because here's the trick. Can I be honest with you? Here's the trick. It's easy to honor somebody and respect them when the anointing is on them. It's a whole lot harder when it's not on them. Yeah? But, but the thing is, is for David here, he had to do this. He had to look at, look at a leader. Guess what? You know, obviously all leaders, thank God, aren't like Saul. But here's a guy that, guess what, that, that God called to come play the harp for because we know that demonic spirit was coming upon him. And when David began to play, the anointing would come and he'd be at peace. But that peace turned into this, a jealousy, because David's killed his ten thousands and I've only killed my thousand. Then guess what? I got a spear in my hand. I'm going to pin his butt against the wall. Read the Bible. It's in there. So what does he do? He throws it at him, and he misses several times. But what's so beautiful about it is David's heart 
What a champion, man. It stayed right. In the midst of that, he remained loyal. He remained loyal. He remained loyal. Man, that's not easy. Right? Even, you know, fast forward. Uh, the Bible says that Saul's in a cave using the bathroom. Using the bathroom. I love the Bible. He's using the bathroom. And David creeps up in there in the dark. And he's got his moment. And what does he do? He says, he, he basically, he just cuts a little bit off his, off his robe. And then he gets up on the hill. Now watch what happens. Here's a guy that Jesse was his dad. Great dad, right? Great dad. Some theologians believe that basically David was born into sin, that it wasn't Jesse's wife. It was a maidservant. Okay, so, so that's one of the reasons why he looked at him less than, okay? That's up for debate. But, but here's David. David goes in. He stands on the ridge line and he says this. He says, my father, my father, to Saul. Are you with me? Here's another father in his life who has dropped the ball. Are you all hearing me? My father, my father, I had a chance basically to take your doggone head off while you were using the bathroom, but I love you so much I didn't. Right? And, and, and once again, what did Saul? Saul repented in the moment, and only a few weeks later, he's back at it again, trying to hunt him down and kill him. Fast forward again, guess what? Here, I think it was Abishai, if my memory serves me right, that here they are, that basically they're in a camp. And the Bible says that the Spirit of God put the whole camp in a sleep. And here's David, and I think, once again, I think it's Abishai and another guy. Read about Abishai, he's the man. Uh, they go rolling into the camp, and basically there's Saul sleeping. And his spear's beside him. Am I right with this? Spear's beside him. And all it was would have been with this. Clink, clink. <laughs> and he had been king. He was already anointed as king. But he said, basically, far be it that I touch the Lord's, in both cases, the Lord's anointed. In other words, I will not fail the test of what? The test of authority. Fast forward in David's life. Hopefully I'm not boring you here. Go all the way to Absalom, his son. We know David Followed suit of Saul, and he followed suit of Jesse, and he was a really bad dad. And uh, we know that he got there, and basically he had a son that slept with his daughter. They were half-brother and sisters, and, and basically David didn't come to her rescue. He didn't protect his own kid. And what happened was Absalom got ticked off, and he killed Amnon, and, uh, and, and basically he, he took vengeance. He, in other words, he took David's spot, and he brought judgment. And so here's David years later, and Absalom's doing his thing, and he starts gathering people to himself. In other words, he's starting to fail the test of authority, and he gathers people to himself. And I love what, I love what basically David said. Basically, he said, look, if, if I didn't basically act that way back then, what would be it that I act like that now? Because he had a right to go, well, I'm going to go kill my son. I hope I'm making sense. I don't plan on saying any of this stuff, so we're going off the cuff here, all right? You all with me? So it's, so it's this, is that, is that it wasn't just at the beginning of David's life. It was at the end that he understood, once again, the kingdom wasn't his. It was God's. And if God, what, wanted to give it to him, if he wanted to take it away, it's up to God. Once again, all of us, here's a real great test if you want to be in leadership, that you got to lead with an open hand. It doesn't belong to you. That's why you'll never hear this guy say, my church, my people. No, it's God's. I'm just here to serve. Right? All right, here we go. It's this. In the test of authority, basically, the, the question is, can we trust God to protect us, and can we trust him to fulfill his promises? Real simple. Number seven. The thing he had a hurdle if he wanted to get, obstacle, conquer, whatever you want to say there, to basically get his identity was the past. 
Now, this sounds weird, but it's this, is that there comes a time in every one of our lives when we will have to leave the sheep, quit returning to our past if we want to take the throne. Do you understand that? So, Listen, in other words, it's this, that we quit looking in that rearview mirror and living life like that. You know, if we want to go all the way back to forgiveness, right? Uh, that, that good old bear, if we want to go back to that. Forgiveness has really, it doesn't change the past, but it can surely change our future. Yeah? So we quit looking back there at all those things, and we go, nope, here's what God says about me. We're going to move forward. Amen? That's where you thank God for grace and mercy. Let me give you a final thought. And then one question, and we're done. Here's the final thought. I'm going to go back to 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 12. Let me tell you the purpose of all of this. Grab a hold of this. It says, And David once again perceived that the Lord had established him king over Israel. Why? And he, God, had exalted David's kingdom for God or for his people's Israel's sake. What are you saying? I'm saying that David had to step into his identity, his destiny, so he could help others into theirs. Do you get that? Let, let, let me maybe say this. To, let me talk to parents here. If, if we don't ever step into our identity and our destiny, how can we ever help our kids step into theirs? Let's make it personal here for a minute. Let's bring it home, right? If, if I'm a husband and I've never stepped into my identity and, and, and my, uh, you know, once again, my destiny, how can I ever encourage my wife and hers and vice versa? Am I making sense, you guys? Now go, now go with a broader influence because God's given every one of us a much broader influence than that. We bump shoulders with people every day. And once again, if I'm not walking in that identity, if I'm not walking in that destiny, how can I help those other people? Once again, I, I get a revelation of who Jesus is so it can be released in me. And guess what? Now I have an opportunity to release that to others. It's really that simple, right? So let me just say this, that whatever God establishes in us is directly connected what he will do to help us, uh, basically to help others. All right, let me, let me end with one question for you, okay? And it comes out of John chapter 1. I thought about starting here today, but we're going to end here. It says this. Now, this was John. We're talking about John the Baptist, okay? Obviously, John the Baptist didn't write the book of John. It, it's it's uh, the Apostle John writing the book. But he said this about John the Baptist. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to him or to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. In verse 22, finally they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. And here's the key part. What do you say about yourself? That's all that matters today. Folks that are sitting here today, folks that might be listening later on the podcast, what do you say about yourself? Are you all with me? And obviously the question of the day, and, and you got to answer it for yourself, is, is if you read on, I love what my man says, John the Baptist. I'm the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. <laughs> all he did was quote what the Bible said about him. Right? It's, and so, and so it, it's this. Once again, the Bible says many, many, many things about all of us. And when somebody asks us who we are, um, is the first thing come out of our mouth, and this is difficult, is it what we do? Because we're much better at doing than we are at just being beers. Right? 
that, that this is who God has said that I am, and I'm just going to be that. Amen? Does that make sense? Does that fly over your head? All right, let's stand to our feet. <coughs> There's going to be uh, a, few of, a few of my friends down here uh, willing to pray for some people today. And uh, if you guys can come down, you're going to come down. Listen, I want to make one, one charge at you uh, or to you before we roll out of here today. Is um, I, Listen, if, if, if you can hear that message without something on, I envy you. Yes? Um, because I got all kinds of things. I'm like, yeah, I, I could grab a hold of that. And so I'm just going to encourage you today, challenge you today, grab a hold of that. But, but I want to say this. If, if you're in the house today and, uh, and, you, and you don't know Jesus, you're not right with God, uh, you're far away off from him, I, I want you to know that the identity that God has for you cannot happen outside of a relationship. Okay, and so if you, if you uh, don't have a relationship with God here today, uh, listen, there's not some great formula. There's not, it's just this, man. Th- these guys will help you figure it out. Come and ask them. Just say, hey, man, uh, hey, gal, how, how can I do that, okay? If you need prayer about anything else, uh, you know, we've talked about a host of things today. These guys are here because they love you, and, uh, and they're more than happy to pray for you, okay? So let's pray collectively, and, and uh, we'll go get some fried chicken. I keep planting that seed. (laughs) So, Father, we thank you for today, Lord. We thank you for uh, just the identity that you've given us. And, uh, Lord, we just ask today, God, that wherever we're at in this room, God, whatever needs to be adjusted so we can see the realities of heaven, God, we give you permission to do so. God, we give you permission to speak to us, permission to make things clear, God, so we can, uh, so we can adjust. Once again, God, it's, it's that we quit working, uh, focusing so much on our behavior and we just start focusing on our identity of who you called us to be. So, God, give us revelation just like you gave Peter, and help us to walk in it. And Lord, help us to be patient with you and patient with ourselves in the process. But Lord, uh, not also that we wouldn't get lazy in it either. And so, Lord, we just thank you for today. Thank you for planting those seeds deep in our heart, God. And I'm just asking, in Jesus' name, God, let it produce 30, 60, 100-fold in our lives. God, don't let, us, don't let us miss anything today of what you want to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.